Hey, before I send it to the show, I just want to say thanks for listening or watching if you're over on the YouTube side. I appreciate the support and want to point out if you want to connect with me further, you can shoot me an email, feedback at doug.show. If you have any show ideas or topics or questions or something like that, that's the best way to get in touch with me. And as long as it's a you know, reasonable email, a reasonable question, I'll throw it into the mix and it will probably make it onto a mailbag episode, which that's one of my favorite kind of episodes to listen to as a podcast consumer myself. And it's one of my favorites to record as well. So feedback at Doug.show. That's the way to get a hold of me. If you do want to sign up for the email list, I have one over at Niche Site Project, and I'll put a link in the description and show notes. But basically, I send you a bunch of templates and systems, and I also let you know when new episodes come out. Sometimes I send some thoughts on a given topic. So definitely worth checking out. I have uh, about 10,000 people on the list, so quite a few other people are on there too, and uh, they enjoy it. They enjoy it too. So got a few episodes coming up on AI topics and a couple other things that I've been dabbling with as well. So keep an eye out for those. Without further ado, let's send it to the episode with Andrew Gincola. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington. And in this episode, I interview Andrew Gincola, the host of a huge, massive podcast called The Personal Finance Podcast, which I actually want to talk about how you even got that name. It seems like so generic and like everyone would have had that already. But I'm pumped to get into a lot of details. Andrew has been involved in blogging for a few years. Uh, kind of a personal finance nerd. We have a ton of overlapping interests and really cool thing. We just met in person uh, maybe like a month or two ago and Andrew took one of my courses like way back in the day. So it's pretty cool, like uh, sort of full circle. And Andrew, uh, welcome. How are you doing? Thank you, Doug. Thank you so much for having me. This is full circle. I'm so excited to be here. And we're going to dig into the beginning. So we did meet in person, but it was, you know, in in the hallway at a conference. So it was pretty quick. We didn't get to chat too, too much, but I have been listening to your podcast over the past few weeks, trying to catch up, you know, doing some research, doing some homework ahead of time. And you have an awesome story. And the other thing, and, and I, I want to emphasize it, I, I said it's a big podcast. You're regularly in the like top 100 business podcast in the US on Apple Podcasts. Is that right? That's correct. Yep. Congratulations. Did you like foresee that coming? It's a fairly new, newish podcast, right? It is. So we've had it for the last um, two years and we did not foresee that coming at all. We kind of just created it to help people. And that was our initial goal. Um, and then we kind of started to get organic traction. And I can talk about how we did that, but we started to get organic traction. And once we got that, it started to to really kind of take off. And we're actually even bigger on Spotify than we are on Apple Podcasts, which a lot of people um, I don't see that happen for. But even on the Spotify side, I think we're in the top 15 in the Spotify business category as well. Wow. That, yeah, that is amazing. Yeah, I don't run into many people that say that. I, I actually don't use Spotify just occasionally if there's a Joe Rogan episode that I want to catch. But other than that, I, I don't really use it. How about you? Are you on Spotify like as a listener? 
I use it specifically for music. Um, but for so when I listen to my podcast, I listen to Apple Podcasts. So I was expecting it to be Apple Podcasts would be like the largest portion. And they're really right about 50 50. But Spotify is even even growing more rapidly as of late. Holy cow. Okay. That that could be a whole other <laughs> other podcast. Yeah. So we'll we'll generally focus on like your online journey and your, you know, wide swath of different topics. So how did you get started? blogging just in general because you do have a, a blog uh, dollar after dollar right so tell, exactly. tell us about that so that was my first uh foray into websites so when i started to actually figure out how to work through my money and actually figure out how my money worked i wanted to talk about what i was doing and the biggest thing we were talking about was financial independence and how financial independence actually worked so i started this blog dollar after dollar and the really cool thing about dollar after dollar is it taught me all the skills i needed to kind of move forward from our businesses now so um, early on, it was just me kind of blogging and talking to nobody. We built up a small audience on dollar after dollar over time. And I wrote about the first 50 blog posts. And then once I learned that you could actually hire people um, to to write blog posts as well, then we started to, to hire a couple folks as well. So dollar after dollar still exists. We don't write on it anymore. Um, but we leave it there because I love the history of it and kind of love talking through through it. But that was where I kind of built all my skills on understanding how to use WordPress, understanding how a website should be built, backlinks, all these different things, and then figuring out how SEO works as well. Um, and we ranked for some pretty interesting articles on dollar after dollar, which led to me uh, creating a couple of niche sites as well. Um, one of which was we created a post about a DIY Peloton that I created. Um, and so we created that post. And once we did that, we were on the first page of Google for DIY Peloton for over two years. Um, and so we were competing up there with all, all the big names like New York Times and, you know, Wirecutter, all these different things. Um, so it was actually pretty cool. And that was my first foray into kind of figuring out SEO and my first article that actually did really well. Um, and so dollar after dollar just taught me so many different lessons. But in addition, it was really me truly trying to teach people how to build wealth and teaching them the things that I was learning over time. And that's kind of the foray of why we started dollar after dollar. Got it. It was, I take it that was a side hustle at the time because you were just kind of cutting your teeth. So what did you do before that? So I started my career as a financial analyst very early on, um, and I was doing it for a very large company. And when I was a financial analyst, I was making only $30,000 a year. So the reason why I created Dollar After Dollar was because I realized very quickly that $30,000 a year was kind of living paycheck to paycheck when I started to do that. Um, then once I learned about financial independence, cutting back some of my expenses, then I was sharing my experiences on how to get raises and all these different things so that you can kind of accelerate your path to wealth so you don't have to live the same way I did. So um, figuring all that stuff out is really the impetus of why we created dollar after dollar at the beginning. Got it. And you are, like I said, a personal finance nerd and a, and a fire nerd, which that, you know, I have a whole other podcast mile high five where we, we do talk about that kind of stuff. So what got you so interested in personal finance when you, cause you, you were pretty young when you started, um, checking out those blogs, right? I was. So I was a teenager when I started to read uh, personal finance blogs. And some of the earlier ones um, that I read weren't really based on financial independence. They were based on just kind of managing your money. And for some reason, I was just drawn to it. And so I started to read books like The Millionaire Next Door. Then I started to read books um, that were teaching you just kind of how to manage your money. And then as a teenager, then I started to buy my first investments um, and kind of learning how investing worked. And then from that point, um, that's where I kind of got the passion for it. I just kept kept becoming, you know, more and more ingrained into the personal finance side. Um, so that, you know, it led to so many more dif different things in my life later on, but that's kind of where it all started was as a teenager. Okay. And, and you just had like a, 
in ingrained like sort of interest in it like did you have like a lemonade stand or cut grass or do something like as a kid as an entrepreneur or something yeah so very early on i had a bunch of different businesses so i had like a, a car wash business was one of the big ones that i had very early on where i would be going to people's houses and i would wash their car um i worked a bunch of jobs as a high schooler but i was also really ingrained in athletics so i had um on the basketball side i played basketball for a very long time played in you know, the travel circle, all that stuff had college offers. Um, and so that was the other thing that took up a bunch of my time, but I was either playing basketball, going to school or, you know, working and trying to earn more money because I realized very early on how powerful money can be at a young age. And so I was trying to earn as much as I possibly could so I can invest those dollars. Okay, cool. And we'll link up, <clears throat> excuse me, We'll link up to your podcast because you do tell um, some stories about uh, your history a little bit so people can dig in a little bit more. So dollar after dollar, when, when did you start that? That started in 2015. 2015. So you're blogging there, you're kind of learning a couple things. And you know where you sit now, you have a big podcast, you're on many social media channels and such. So what does the business look like, like right now? And then we can talk about the growth and how you ended up here. Sure. So right now where we're standing is we have about three to 400,000 people on the podcast that listen every single month. Um, and so it's about two, a little over two years old since we've started it. Um, and then, so the business kind of runs through the podcast is kind of the main impetus of where it starts. And then, um, we're, we're launching, you know, courses and coaching and a bunch of other things to surround the podcast. And then in addition, um, we, we have our social channels too, that kind of help us market that. So we have TikTok with, you know, well over a hundred thousand followers. Um, we utilize Instagram, we utilize YouTube and all those other things as well. So, um, that's kind of what the business looks like now. We can talk revenue numbers. I'm open with all that stuff. Um, but that's kind of where it stands now, um, in the last two years where we, from where we started. Cool. Yeah. Uh, let's talk revenue numbers. So especially like different pieces of, uh, yeah, I guess like channels and revenue streams. Sure. So for our main hub on the podcast um, is advertising. So we have advertising that we do through an advertising agency. Um, and so we use a company called True Native Media. And True Native Media sells the ads for us because it's a lot of work to actually go find advertisers for a podcast, especially if you're trying to do it month over month. So they sell all the ads for us and we do a 70-30 split. So the net profit that we have right now in the advertisements are about $35,000 a month. Um, and that's kind of where we stand. We, those are actually sold at a 40% discount from the actual downloads that we have every single month. So for example, if we have 100,000 downloads, um, they sell them at 60, just in case something happens or there's an algorithm shift, um, you can still make sure that you actually meet um, those ad placements. So as your podcast grows over time, you can actually make a lot more money. Um, and there's a lot more things that you can do on the advertising side. In addition, we have affiliates. And on the affiliate side, we do about two to $3,000 every single month. Um, that will potentially grow very soon because we've done a bunch of deals with some banks that we use a lot. And so that's another revenue source that we have there. In addition, like I said, we're launching coaching, we're launching courses, which we're really excited about because I think the courses are going to help a lot of people. So we're going to have free courses that we're launching. In addition to we're going to have premium courses and our courses really, we're trying to make them affordable for people. So like the first course that we're launching is called Index Fund Pro. It's an investing for beginners course. Um, and so we're pricing that like right around 99 bucks. So that will be something where you can kind of think through, you know, the size of the audience. And if 1% of the audience buys it, um, then you're looking at a six figure return just on that course alone. So that's kind of where our revenue sources are now. 
Um, and so we're trying to diversify them as much as possible just to make sure that, you know, we have a viable business. We don't want to rely just on the advertising because in any recession environment or anything like that, we know advertising is going to pull back. So, um, that's kind of our main plan right now and our revenue sources that we're utilizing. And then we're looking for more sources as well that we can kind of diversify the whole portfolio. Got it. That's amazing. Andrew, that's, uh, yeah, that's a lot of money. And how big is the team? Right now we have all service-based contractors. So I have, um, one VA, and then the rest of the team are people that I need for very specific tasks. So I have folks who are specifically doing my thumbnails or editing on my videos. I have one just for my TikTok videos that edits those very specifically, puts the captions in, that type of thing. Um, so we're right around seven total. Um, and so between all the people that I have on my team there, um, it's about seven people total that we, we utilize. Got it. And the 35K per month from advertising, is that the, the net or the gross? That's the net after um, our All advertising those. agency kind of takes their cut, their 30%. Got it. Got it. Okay. So Very the, cool. the cool thing about finance podcasts and specifically is that the CPMs are super high on finance podcasts in comparison to like a true crime podcast would probably only get a $10 CPM. We get between 30 to $50 CPMs. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And I did talk to one company and I, you know, he was like at 25 to 35 bucks, like in the general business area that you're, that, that I, my shows are in. So and, that makes sense. And that's sense. spot on. Cause that's what we're seeing too, is like right around, right around that range. And then I've had people who told me that they've sold them themselves and gotten even higher CPMs way closer to that $50 range. Sure. I've never gotten that close to 50. We're usually between that 30 to 50. Um, and then if somebody really wants to buy out for an entire year, for example, sometimes we'll give them discounts down to 28, 27, somewhere around there. Got it. And then any, I guess, has it been hard to, to navigate some of the offers that come up or does the advertising agency really kind of take care of it and just bring you good stuff? Usually they bring us really good, um, opportunities. It's all big, large companies that you've heard of before. The hardest thing to navigate, honestly, very early on is the growth of the show in comparison to everybody wanted to sign one year deals after they did a couple of months with us. So it, when they wanted to sign these one year deals, um, when you sign those deals, then you're kind of locked in. You have a 30 day term that you can kind of cancel, but you're locked into those rates, at least for those 30 days. And if you try to renegotiate with them, they really don't want to go up very much. So um, that was kind of hard to navigate as we were growing because really we needed to have you know higher download rates and we're signing these one year deals and kind of getting locked in with some of these these companies. So we got a little creative and then sometimes you can stack advertisers and do a couple of other things as well. Okay. And what do you think the potential is? Uh, like you said, stacking, like how many ads can you put in? Do you still have capacity or are you trying to keep it um, kind of minimal so it doesn't interrupt the the flow of the show? Because my show is only, you know, it's right around 30 to 40 minutes. Um, because it's that length, I try to keep it less. Um, I keep try to keep it less if I can. Now, there's this really cool thing with my hosting provider where if you have a ad that terms, for example, they do automated ads that they'll just fill in. And the automated ads, the CPM are about $15. But the cool thing about it is you don't have to do any work. You don't have to do any ad reads. You just kind of add it in. But I'm trying to reduce the amount of ads as we grow because I want the experience to be that much better. Um, some people don't love having ads. And I, you know, I tell them, you know, you can skip through them or, or do whatever you want on that front. But some people just still don't like it. So figuring out how to kind of navigate those ads so it's a much better experience has been another challenge that we've kind of gone through. And we're testing it out each and every week to try to figure out the best and optimal rate to do the ads. You can think of people like Joe Rogan. He puts all the ads up front and then you can kind of skip through them and then listen to the podcast. 
Um, but most advertisers want their ads in the middle, and that's kind of the premium spot. The mid-roll is what they call it. Um, and so in that mid-roll, you're trying to figure out, you know, how many advertisers can I fit in there and how do I kind of stagger this to, to make it work? So what we're trying right now is we kind of lump them all together so you can just skip through them if you don't want to hear them. Um, but if you do want to hear them, they're, they're there as well. Right. Yeah, it's tough to figure out. I don't love ads and I'll often I'll skip them at the same right. time. Like I'm not, I'm not sure what the audience wants. I know Tim Ferriss has ads on his show, but at one point I think he tried to do a donation model. Do you remember this? I do. Yes. And then he was like, people actually want to hear the ads, which I'm not a hundred percent sure <laughs> like that's true, but have exactly. you thought about the donation model or anything? So we've met with a company called Supercast as well. So with a donation model, there's something where you can do where you could take the ads off. With Supercast, they can kind of subscribe. Like It's almost like a Patreon for podcasters, which is kind of cool. And it connects to all your podcast apps. And so what Supercast does is you can, you can charge you know $3, $4, $5 a month. It's a recurring revenue model, um, just like Patreon, but they can get no ads. You can add bonus episodes in there. They have a very cool like Q&A platform that you can answer questions in there and stuff. So that's one thing we've considered as well for the people that don't want ads is to use something like Supercast. But the last thing I want to do is kind of give people all these options that they have to pay for all these different things. Right. And so we're kind of thinking through that in a way where it's um, we're kind of trying to be cautious about that. So like it's it's one of those things where you just got to figure out what your audience actually wants. And if somebody wants that, it could be there, but then you're actually doing, you know, additional episodes and things like that. So you want to make sure it's worth the while. Right. And that's the challenge with like a Patreon or buy me a coffee. If you have different tiers where you technically should offer a little bit more like the bonus content or something like that. And it's something we're struggling with right now because, you know, we don't necessarily want like an, an extra piece of work that, right it's going to just make us think about and like stress about and like, Oh, we really have to over deliver or whatever. So we may just, you know, keep it simple, have a donation model. We won't earn as much, but luckily like we don't have the same, uh, like drivers to like earn as much as possible. Not as you specifically, but like usually if people put time in, they're like, okay, how can we, you know, have a good experience and earn as much as possible. We just want to make sure like we cover our costs and it's, it's pretty fun, but yeah, it's, uh, it's hard to figure out what to do. It is, and it's it, it navigating. I've been on an island doing this, so like, I my background isn't in you know like online entrepreneurship is is been for the last couple of years, but I haven't really connected with a bunch of people that do this at the same time until as of late. Um, so the interesting thing about this is kind of navigating it and trying to figure out what to do next is has been an interesting experience. But I think we finally have a rhythm now where we're kind of kind of figuring out you know how to pull the audience, how to, how to kind of talk to folks, um, and figure out what the best options are, and then kind of a b testing some stuff. Got it. And the fact that you will have other sources of revenue, uh, courses and coaching, like you mentioned, like that should solve a lot of problems because the margins are going to be so high. You'll control it a hundred percent. You have your email list and everything. So like, there's a lot of different ways to spread. I, I really like that. Exactly. And that's one big thing too, mentioning the email list is I knew from the very beginning, I should have had an email list and I delayed it for like a year. Um, and that is one of my biggest regrets that I've had thus far is with my email list is we kind of started the newsletter and we should have had it much, much sooner and we delayed it. And I'm still so frustrated that we did that. Um, and I knew better and I still didn't do it. So that was another thing that, uh, one huge mistake that we had early on, but now it's kind of, kind of shaping out. It's working out really well. It's fine. Yeah. And so do you share how many subscribers you have in your newsletter as well? Absolutely. So, um, right now we actually started it and I'm 
this is why I'm so mad. We started it in September. So like right before FinCon, when we when, when you and I met, uh, uh, we started the email list. And so right now we're, we're standing at like 7,500 subscribers. I have the dollar after dollar list that I kind of, you know, debate on pulling over as well and kind of adding it. That would kind of put us, you know, around 12, somewhere around there. Cool. Um, but we're happy with that number for the, the first couple of months at least. Um, and then we're really early on. So our open rate's still at like 78%, um, which is like, Crazy, crazy high it's not going to stay like that <laughs> yeah. obviously but <laughs> yeah um but that was that's one i'm surprised it's actually stayed that high this long um but that's kind of where we stand right now in the email list but we are really really excited about that because i think there's a lot of things that we can do with it and a lot of extra value we can provide so we kind of do it like a, a newsletter format um and we have different topics every single week that we talk through and, and try to deep dive into some stuff okay and then do you write all the the copy for the the email newsletter I do. So right now I write all the copy for it. Um, and it's a lot more work than, than originally I remember, but, um, it's one of those things where I, I write all of it and it's, it's actually really fun for me. So every single week I kind of try to make it funny. We add a bunch of memes and stuff in there as well. Um, cool. and so it's kind of like, we're trying to make it as entertaining as possible. So kind of our thought process was we want to be the money version of something like money. Um, we want to be the money version of something like morning brew or the hustle or something like that. So, that's kind of where we started it. And then we'll, we'll kind of see where it lands, but that's kind of our thought process for way out in the future. Got it. And you mentioned, you know, one of the mistakes that you made, even though you knew, which is uh, is classic, like we know we should start the email list or whatever it might be. And then you just waited for a really long time. I thought you were going to say September of last year, by the way, too. And I was like, oh no, just two months, but that's great in a short amount of time. So are there any other big mistakes that you've made in your online journey so far? So we've had a bunch of bunch of them along the way. And um, some of which are some of the big ones very early on. The email list is by far one of the biggest ones. Um, some other ones are just kind of very early on learning how to stay consistent. So consistency was a big problem for me on dollar after dollar. If you look at it, I think we had 50 posts in two years. It would have been much better to just do two or three posts. I think it would have grown much more and we would have had a larger audience when we started the podcast. Um, so consistency was something I had to learn. And because it was a side hustle, it was like, uh, the thing I was doing on the side, I just wasn't as motivated to, to push it until later on when it started to make money. Um, and so being consistent in that is something we really learned on the podcast where we made sure no matter what, we're not missing a week on the podcast. And then we added a second episode. So now we have two a week. Um, and it's one of those things where just learning that consistency, it seems like people who are the most consistent actually last the longest and really can, you can be successful, um, by staying consistent over time, especially with online content. So that's one of the biggest things that we learned very early on. And we're, we're trying to maintain that model with every single thing that we do now, making sure that we at least, um, put out one piece of content, whether it's the newsletter, the YouTube channel or the podcast and making sure that that consistency is kind of, um, moving along as we go through this process. The second big mistake that we've had, um, is really not talking and asking people earlier and asking for help and networking with other people online. I think our trajectory could have been so much faster if we actually just met more people. And for years, I remember when I started dollar after dollar from 2015, I wanted to go to FinCon. This year was the first time I actually went. So um, if I would have done that earlier, I think I would have learned a lot more and made a lot more connections where I could actually kind of accelerate the path to what I really wanted to do was teach people how to build wealth. That's all I really wanted to do um, was teach as many people as possible to do what I'm doing now. So that was kind of a couple of the other mistakes as well, but the newsletter by far is the the biggest one so far. <laughs> yeah. It'll, it feels bad now, but in whatever a year, it will not have mattered if you started it like six months earlier or whatever, but I don't know. You, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Yeah. That's what, that's what we're hoping for at least. And, and I think it's, it's, we're at least happy with the, the growth of it so far. So I think, um, 
right now we're just kind of working through exactly how we want to to craft it and then um in the future i'm hoping to you know have writers for it as well um and that way i'm not doing all the writing but right now i actually enjoy writing it yeah it's pretty i i just sent out uh, funny enough an email on consistency where like that that's the that's the secret i think like if you could just be consistent over the long period or a long period of time you'll go so much farther than if you you know do a sprint of work for like six weeks and then you lose interest. And then it, it just doesn't work as well as if you're just consistent, even if you don't do a great job, it's kind of like how I go to the gym. Like not every workout is great. Like may, maybe like 20%, like I'm just going through the motions, but I showed up anyway. And it's just part of the habit that I have. So it- Exactly. The weird thing about being consistent too is that there's just certain pieces of content that you never thought would take off and they take off like crazy. And you're, you know, I've gotten to the end of a podcast and said that wasn't my best work. And then by the time we post it a couple weeks later, we look and it's the top of our, you know, charts for the, the entire month. So, um, it's interesting how consistency just kind of brings up along success as you start to stay consistent with your content. So that's another big piece, um, that definitely we're going to maintain for sure. So I want to jump back uh, selfishly to the organic growth of the podcast. So again, this probably could be a full course. So if you could go over some high level stuff, high level things that you did when you started the show, you did have a bit of an audience, but you know, how did it start taking off organically for you? Sure. So when we first started the podcast, my audience was pretty cold. So it was like a year or two um, where I hadn't been posting that much on Dollar After Dollar. I was working on other online projects like Retail Arbitrage and other niche site. Um, so our audience ended up kind of getting really cold, but it was in the middle of COVID that we started the podcast. And fo- so for the first six months, our audience was very small and it grew, you know, the first ep- couple episodes was just my wife and my mom listening to the podcast probably. Um, but then after the, the next couple of months, we started to slowly see growth. And then at month six, um, we probably got to write around 5,000 downloads per month. And so from month six to month 12 is where we got to about 100,000 downloads a month. So what was really happening was a number of things. One thing I really wanted to do very early on was make sure that we invested in high quality audio equipment. So some people disagree with me on this, but if it's an audio only experience, I think the, um, the audio equipment should be as high quality as possible. So we invested um, into a mic, for example, that was the, the Shure SM7B. Um, we invested in making sure that everything sounded good. So we had, um, audio levelers and things like that. And then scaling it very early on, you know, what helped me get my time back was having an editor in place. Um, so that's just some of the things we did on the technical side, but on the, the growth side, one thing I wanted to do, especially with the subject of personal finance and financial independence was bring as much energy as possible to the subject. So one thing I did very early on was a, I changed my titles to look more like a YouTube title than it actually did a podcast title. Cause what I noticed was every single podcast episode, they usually had titles that were just standard what they were talking about. So say, for mm-hmm. example, they were talking about a, how to make a budget, for example, let's say how to make a budget. That, that's what it would be. So what I would do is change the title to how to make a life spending plan that will absolutely change your life or something like that. Um, and so we tried to model those titles and change it a little bit differently. Another thing we did, with, like I said, was the delivery. I think delivery really, really, truly matters. And there's a bunch of different ways to deliver. There's ways to be relaxing in your voice when you deliver it. There's ways to be super energetic. There's a bunch of different things that you can do, but making sure your delivery is on point um, is another big thing in an audio only experience. Um, and then there's a couple other things that kind of, kind of led to that point where we tried to make sure just how you interlink into blog posts, for example, we linked 
each and every podcast episode with a bunch of other podcast episodes that we've already talked about. So what we noticed was starting to happen was when we did that, people would start to binge through the content. So they would hear one podcast episode, and then I'm talking about another subject where we talked about this in great detail, and they would jump to the next one. So when people find our podcast, what we're noticing is that they can actually binge through the back catalog as well. And so that's another big thing where people will tell me, I found your podcast a month ago. I've already listened to all 150 episodes. So it's a, a really cool thing to kind of interlink um, in a vocal way uh, with all your episodes as well. So that's another thing that we did. Um, and then beyond that, we ask every single episode to leave a rating and review. That's one big thing that kind of helps you on the Apple podcast side and on the Spotify side. So on Spotify, I think we have 2000 reviews on Apple podcast. I think we're like at 750, somewhere around there. Um, and so getting those rating and reviews actually helps you propel up in the charts. Mm -hmm. Then we would ask everybody to share it with friends and family. Um, and so we're getting a lot of shares and we can kind of see that through chartable links and things like that, that we utilize to get those shares. So there's a bunch of different things that are happening all at the same time, but it's all been organic and we haven't been on other podcasts instead until, you know, as of late, the last four months is when we've actually been doing, um, you know, podcast tours and going on other podcasts. But since then it was all organic up to that point. So that was some of the things we did, um, to, to kind of try to get it to grow organically. Um, and then, you know, from there, we're kind of testing things out to see what else we can do. Got it. So, yeah, so interesting because I thought, you know, maybe you did a lot of networking and you were on a bunch of different shows. And although, like, I, I probably would have heard you on some of the shows that I listened to. Um, so, yeah, that's really amazing. I, I do really like the YouTube title um, approach. And that makes total sense because, uh, you know, just a generic title. And I could tell a show that I thought was really good, but it has a shitty title. Like it just, it doesn't work out as well um, as, and you can't do clickbait. You don't have a thumbnail to worry about, which is good, but you could just use a really solid title. And that's kind of the thing that we were hoping would kind of help people click through to the next episode and kind of go through it, you know, kind of binge through it. And I think the titles help with that um, in some way, but I didn't see anybody really doing that very early on. I think more people do it now than they used to. Um, but, you know, when we very first started, I think it was just a lot of a lot of A-B testing on some of the title stuff, because I think it's really important because that's the only thing they see if they're going to listen to your podcast episode or not, especially with as generic of a title as we have. <laughs> right, right, right. That's a good it's a good name. It's very clear, like what's in the <laughs> what's in the show. And then do you have a radio background or performance background or anything? Because you are great on a mic. And that was one thing that was absolutely apparent, like from your very early episodes. So we, the first episode I ever did, um, I have no background in radio or, or entertaining or even being on video. So the first episode I ever did, I thought you had to nail the podcast perfectly every single time. I didn't know you could edit it when you, when you went through the process. So I did 40 takes before I actually finished the first episode. And I was watching like a YouTube video on how to podcast very early on. And someone was saying, you can you know mess up and then you can cut it in certain spots. Um, so that is kind of like an example of where I started and then where we are now <laughs> is kind of the big difference. But um, that's kind of, that's, I have no background in, in any radio or anything like that. You just have a good voice. Okay. Solid. And, and a ton of energy too. Like that, again, that is apparent. And you know, there's some shows that I've listened to and the person sounds bored, like of their own story like that. That's bad. And I'm not, it, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, exactly. I, I heard a bunch of shows like that and I'm like, 
this, this is an audio only experience. There's no visuals going on. There's nothing that kind of is catching my eye. So you have to kind of catch their attention. And there's a bunch of different ways to do it. Like, for example, Sarah Koenig in the, the serial series, for example, I feel like her voice is relaxing to listen to as you're kind of listening to the story's not relaxing, but like her voice and the way she delivers it is relaxing. And then there's other people who like Andrew Huberman, like you and I were talking about before the show. He has a like an educational delivery, but the 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 delivery that or the information that he's delivering is really, really informative and something that you really want to want to listen to and keep listening to. So there's a bunch of different ways to do it. But I just think your delivery is so incredibly important, especially on an audio only experience. And I like, um, you know, for serial, it, you know, they came from the, I guess, the NPR side of the house. So like it fit the genre that they came from. And, you know, she's like a radio career professional, right? So it makes sense. She had a style. And then Huberman, one thing in which we'll talk about him in a second, Huberman lab, if, if people haven't checked it out. Um, but his, you know, individual episodes are great. It's like a college lecture, authoritative. He knows what he's talking about. I love his dry sense of humor when he has a guest. You, you pick up on that a little bit where he like try, he throws a zinger, but it's so dry. It's, I absolutely love that. That's <laughs> one of my favorite things. And I think he, he just does an amazing job at it. And I, I'm, guessing most people don't catch it yeah it's it's really funny and he has like one of the top podcasts like across the full catalog right like top 10 yeah, so or 20 i heard him talk about his numbers a little bit and i think he's right around last time i heard and this was a year ago so I'm, I'm assuming it's even larger he was right around seven to ten million a month wow and downloads. It's, it's so crazy because it, it is so in-depth and the episodes are so long that most people would just tap, they won't even download it, but those are like some of the highest numbers and it's probably really, really sticky too. people check out the whole episode. That's what it seems like. And he's, and he's very big on YouTube as well. So like, I think his YouTube channel has 2.5 million and it's just him talking on the podcast, just like, just like, uh, you and I are. So it, I mean, he has a very large, large audience that he grew really fast. I think his podcast started after mine. Wow. That's crazy. But he, you know, he brings, he brings all the stuff that you're talking about. And then he was able to be on like a bunch of other shows. So, okay. Um, I could keep asking about podcasting stuff and it's amazing what you've done. I, I have some ideas, but I want to move on. You know, we did talk about challenges and mistakes and I want to move on to like staying motivated. And, you know, you started your, your first blog in 2015, things were kind of slow going. You talked about consistency being challenging. How, how did you keep motivated, you know, back in those early days? So very early on, because I'm so passionate about the subject, and that was a big thing for me, staying motivated was a little bit easier. Now, I wasn't as consistent as I should have been, but I always came back to it. Like I always wanted to keep talking about it for a very long period of time. Um, and then staying motivated early on after I did this for so long where I had, you know, niche sites that failed, I had the um, the blog that was just, you know, it never had a large audience. Then I realized, well, if I stay consistent, what is going to happen? So um, kind of going through that process, my motivation was because I wanted to make it successful. Like I wanted to do this full time and that was my biggest goal. And that was kind of my why, because if I could do this forever, that would be, um, that would be like, I never worked a day in my life. So kind of going through this process, the why was making sure that I could get to this point where I could just do this forever and help a lot of people. Then what would happen is as we started to talk about this subject, a lot of people were sending me mes messages like this is absolutely life changing for me. Um, there's so many things that I'm learning here. That's kind of, you know, changing my life and my finances. I'm turning them around. Finally. Um, we have episodes where we talk about like how to get a raise at your corporate job, for example. And we had people getting 50, hundred thousand dollar raises by using our systems that we use. So there were so many cool things that were happening that kind of keep me motivated after those first six months. The first six months were very hard. 
Um, and it, because something is new, it's even harder. But once you get through that first six months, I think it's something where if you continue on, you're going to have the, you know, the people who are listening to your podcast, they're going to help support you and they're going to really keep you motivated to keep going. Cool. And you do have a great story on, you know, why you're so passionate about personal finance. It was in a recent episode, which we'll link up to, was it the, like the mailbag episode that was pretty recent? Yes, it was. Um, and so I can tell the story, the, the way that it kind of started, but, um, when I started my first job, like I said, we made about $30,000 a year. And I very quickly realized that was going to live paycheck to paycheck by the way I was living. And I live in Florida, Tampa, Florida. So our cost of living is kind of in the middle um, where we are here now. And so $30,000 a year, I didn't know how to manage money yet. So I tr- had to figure out, you know, how am I going to get this to work? And one day I went to a gas pump and I did not have enough money in my bank account to fill up my entire gas tank. And it made me so mad and so frustrated that I wanted to figure out exactly how to turn around my money. So there was a bunch of things I did. Um, one of which was I started to, you know, start a budget. So the budget actually helped me track exactly where my money was going every single month. And once I did that, I all of a sudden had control over my money where a lot of people think like a budget is very restricting, but I see it as a way to freedom. So when you start a budget or you start a spending plan, it actually shows you where your dollars are going. And then you could put more of those dollars towards the things that you actually value, um, which is one of the biggest things that we did very early on. And then increasing our income was the second thing. So, you know, negotiating your salary um, so that you can get those raises and those promotions, then, you know, starting side hustles, starting online businesses, which is why we did a lot of this stuff. Um, and then starting to grow our income that way. But that was the impetus was that gas station. And it was the thing that made me so incredibly mad that I didn't want to let this happen ever again. And so that's kind of where we started our journey. Got it. Now you do, you know, your why you have a very, you know, clear why, and now you have great momentum. You're helping people. Sometimes we still go off the rails and your days don't go how you plan. So what do you do when you maybe feel yourself spiraling out of control, which happens to me occasionally if, you know, I think something's going to take 10 minutes and then it takes me like three hours and then the website crashes. So what do you do when, uh, you know, you get a stick or wrench thrown in your spokes there? The... This happened a lot to me um, in the last year and a half or so. And the reason why is because I was still working full-time and doing this at the same time. And so between the two things, it was something where I was working, you know, mornings, really early mornings on it. Then I would go to work all day and I would come back and be working all the way up till midnight, 1 a.m. and just kind of repeating it over and over again. So I was really burning myself out as we would go through this process. And so I had a bunch of days like that where I was just so exhausted from the, the day before and I was working all weekend that I really felt like I was starting to burn out. Um, and so some of the big things that I would do, one of which is um, if something really isn't urgent that needed to be done right away, like I didn't need to put an episode out, I would just push it back. I would take a break and I would wait till the next day. Um, and then very, you know, as I went through the process, I, I realized I probably need to take a whole day off every single week instead of working through the entire weekend. So then I started to take one day off at least per week. Um, and then kind of pushing through that because it is a mental barrier and it's kind of a skill that you have to build over time. Um, pushing through that, what I did was I really structured my schedule to kind of make me successful. So making sure that I time blocked every single day was a big thing for me. So time blocking through so I didn't waste time for, on projects. And if I did waste time on something where it took longer than I thought it would, then I would just kind of move everything back that wasn't important. So um, I have a very specific way that we kind of time block through the day. And now I structure my day in a very specific way as well. But those were the some of the things I did. And that was, if I was really frustrated, I would obviously go work out and kind of just let all the stress melt away and then come back to it because I would get a, a burst of energy. So there's a bunch of different tr- tips and tricks that we can talk about. Um, but those are some of the things that I did early on. And it's really top of mind because for a long period of time, 
um, this is something that I battled with, uh, especially at the, the very early stages of the podcast. Yep. Yeah. I, I know what you mean. You know, just burning the candle at both ends. Like you're not getting enough rest. Maybe you're like over caffeinated for portions of the day, which makes you, I, I get, I get a little irritable if I have too much caffeine. <laughs> But, for uh, sure and it was like a it was i was i remember like one weekend I, I said to my wife like i don't know what's going on like my whole brain was just foggy like i couldn't even think through things or remember what was going on and it was just because i was overworking myself and kind of figuring out to take those breaks was a, a massive thing for me it seems so simple but it i don't know if you're too driven you're you're thinking i could just push through but you really you know need to take a break or like take a nap even to just exactly. like recharge which it seems counterproductive, but it really can make a huge difference. So for sure. And that's, that's where, uh, like those recharge things, there's a bunch of different things that you can recharge. I think workouts are an amazing way to do it. Um, and the naps are something I actually implemented on the weekend. So now like when I come up to a weekend, I'm so exhausted from the entire week from doing all these different things, um, that now I almost have to take that nap just to kind of recharge and, and kind of go through that process. So naps are an amazing way to do it as well. It's pretty fun. It seems like a, a good old man thing to do. I'm getting older, you know, like we all are. So yeah, just to veg out in the middle of the afternoon after lunch or something, you're like, ah, I'll fall asleep with the TV on. I usually go to the bedroom and just like pull the blinds. I, I like take a proper nap and everything. Um, and, and I need to do it more. So on weekends, do you still like take naps sometimes? Yeah, except for football season because I'm a really big uh, football fan. But um, sure. but right now, like on Saturdays, I definitely will. Um, and then I have young kids, so when my kids take a nap, then I take a nap at the same time. So it, it works out perfectly, and then they'll wake me up like in you know an hour or two. So it, it works out like the time frames are perfect. Nature's alarm clock. Yeah. Exactly. How old are your kids? I have one that's one, and then one that's my oldest is four. Okay, gotcha. So let's talk a little bit about fitness and health. And we, I guess we could focus on fitness. So I actually just got back from a workout. I kind of like to go like in the middle of the day, just the way my, my day is structured these days, but yeah, what's your sort of fitness regimen through the week, through the day, that kind of thing. Sure. So we, um, we very early on in COVID decided to invest in a home gym and that was one of the best investments I ever made. Cause we have uh, a three bay garage in our, in our house. And so in the third bay, it was kind of like a separated bay. We just built a home gym into there. Um, and so in there we have a squat rack, we have, um, a bunch of dumbbells, we have a cable machine. Um, and then we have sleds and, and cardio equipment as well, like a elliptical machine that I found on the side of the road that we plugged in and it worked. Um, and we have like our DIY Peloton that I was talking about earlier that I use. Um, so building this was one of the best things we ever did because the consistency really skyrocketed where I would go to the gym really late, um, before that. And I was very consistent, but I was consistent about four days a week. Now this allows me to go, you know, six, even seven, if I feel like it. Um, and so early in the morning is when I work out typically. Um, the only reason why I do that right now is just because it's the only time I have, I would rather do it in the middle of the day because I think that's where, um, I have more strength and endurance and all those types of things, but we do it early in the morning, um, from about seven to 8 AM. And then, um, the majority of it is weight training in the morning. And then, um, usually in the evenings I'll do like a zone two cardio session, um, based on er Andrew Huberman, listening to one of his podcasts again. Um, and that zone two cardio session is something where, you know, I can still have a conversation, but I'm just kind of standing on the elliptical or the spin bike. Um, and then just like watching a show on Netflix, for example. So between those two things, um, it's been something I've been doing for a very long time. And I've been lifting weights since I was 18 or 19. 
Um, but now it's something where I can do it at any time I want to. And if I'm, you know, if it's the weekend and I really just haven't had time that I can just walk into my garage and it's right there. So there's so many cool things that you can do. Um, and if I need an energy burst, I can walk in there and just do a bunch of pull-ups, for example, and kind of get that energy burst that I need. So, um, that's kind of the fit fitness regimen and it's extremely important for my day to day. Gotcha. That's, uh, it's pretty awesome with the zone two, And I have, I guess I was kind of doing it a little bit. So how long do you do your zone two training typically? So the recommended minimum that he had was right around 30 minutes. Um, and anywhere between three to six times per week. Um, I started off with two or three times a week and then kind of built it up from there, but I like it so much because it melts like the stress away. It just feels so good after that. Sometimes I'll just stand on the elliptical because it's like zero, zero pounding on my joints or anything like that. And I'll just watch a show and I don't even realize that I'm on there because it's, it's right. a, it's a nice slow pace. So it's, it's very easy. Um, so that's kind of what I'm doing now is right around four or five, six times a week now. Um, and it's one of the best things I've done. Cause I, I wait till my garage heats up and then I kind of just, you know, sweat it all out. So it's awesome. That's great. It's like working out like in a sauna or something like that. Now, do you do any sauna or like uh, cold plunges or anything? That's my next thing. So I've been trying to find a spot in my house where I could put a sauna um, because it's one of the biggest things I, I want to get. But if not, there's a I can get a gym membership. I might just do that because there's one down the street that has one for like nine bucks a month. Um, and then cold therapy is another big one that that I'm definitely interested in. So I can I've seen that you can get like um, those rubber made tubs and um, and then just fill those up with ice and, and do it that way. If you get like a traditional cold plunge, they're really expensive. Um, but they are a lot nicer, but that's something I'm definitely interested in doing next. That's kind of my next phase. Cause I think that's really, really beneficial as well. Yeah. I'm not uh, like, I did cold showers for a little while and I, I started back up actually. And then I took the temp of the water. I thought it was so cold. It was like 60 degrees or so. And a lot of the cold plunges, you know, they're like 40 or, you know, even down to 33 or something like that. But I'm not sure if I'll take that route. I do love saunas and I'm pretty sure we're going to get like an infrared sauna. We, ha we have like a basement and plenty of room. So I'm looking oh, forward that'd to that. That'd be awesome. Cause I think just having it in your house is going to be that much better. And I saw like a study where if you do sauna therapy, like five times a week, it reduces the risk of heart disease somewhere like 60 to 80%. It was a massive difference. Um, and that was a, a study that Huberman was talking about. And then, uh, Dr. Rhonda Patrick was talking about as well. Who's like similar to him. Um, and so it was really interesting to kind of see some of those studies come out because it's a mass. I think the sauna is probably more beneficial even than the ice baths can be. I think so too. And well, just based on the studies that you mentioned too, and the the cool, I, I love saunas and the gyms that I had been going to, the, the one I go to now doesn't have one, but they typically did. And I would almost, oh, you know, four or five times a week, almost every workout, I would go sit in there for a little while, probably not as long as I should have, but it's better than nothing. So, and I miss it for sure. For sure. I think it's, it's like the best feeling when you come out, it's like having a workout, basically it's, it's awesome. So that's a big thing for me next, I think is to, to find a way to at least get in one. Yeah. Awesome. So as we're wrapping up here, you did mention, uh, like going to conferences and you probably should have gone sooner. So it sounded like you hadn't gone to very many in-person events in the past. Uh, is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. So FinCon was my first main one that I went to. Um, and that was an incredible experience, obviously. And we have some other ones that we want to do next year. So which are, which are going to be interesting, but FinCon was the first like major one that I went to that actually built connections and things like that. Got it. And then, yeah, what are you, what are you going to this coming year? Like what's on the agenda? 
So definitely FinCon again, because all the the I think FinCon is one of the just the, the best conferences to go to overall after going to that one. Um, and then PodFest is a big one um, that I'm going to go to that will be, you know, for podcasters. And it's really close to me. It's in Orlando that they have it every single year. Um, so that'll be an interesting one as well. And then podcast movement is another one that I've considered. I've heard it's um, a little more commercial on the commercial side, but I'm considering going to that one. Um, and then we'll see what else comes up. But I'm, I'm looking to even go to more more events if they have them out there. Cool. And it, what about you? Are you going any any others? Yeah. So I, I'll, I'll probably go to um, I'll go to FinCon again, most likely. And have you been to any of the Camp Fies? I haven't. Okay, we'll have to talk after that. I think you'd be perfect. Like, there's one in Gainesville uh, or outside of Gainesville, so you could drive to it. It's not too far away. And it actually, I mean, you could bring like the whole family if you wanted to, but, um, it's a really fun, it's kind of a retreat, um, oh, to set up like that. a retreat. Yeah. Very fun. A lot smaller. It's not really a conference. It's like 50 or 60 people and you'd be great to speak at it and you'd, you'd have a great time. It's like our kind of people. So, oh, that's awesome. Cause I mean, Gainesville for me is probably an hour and a half drive. So it's, it's really close. Awesome. Very cool. Um, well, Andrew, this has been amazing. And I think, you know, if I could convince you, we'll do a round two in the future, but where can people find you? Where do you want them to go? Absolutely. Thank you, Doug, so much for having me on. So you can listen to me on the, the personal finance podcast on any podcast player that you listen to. In addition, we're on um, YouTube at Master Money on YouTube. And then our, our website is mastermoney.co, mastermoney.co. Um, so those are the three main places you can find me. If you have social, I'm on Instagram, TikTok, um, at Master Money Co as well. So um, those are all the main places that you could find me. Awesome. Thanks, Andrew. And we'll uh, link up for everyone so they can get to those spots. And hopefully I'll talk to you real soon. Thank you, Doug. I appreciate it. Thanks again to Andrew and be sure to check out his stuff over on the Personal Finance Podcast. I also interviewed him for my other podcast, Mile High Fi. That episode will be coming out early in the new year. So if you want to hear more from Andrew, more on the personal finance side, especially like getting started on your path to financial independence, getting out of debt, some other ideas of just like kind of getting started with financial independence, check out that episode. So like I said, it's not out yet, but it will be early next year. And if you're interested in that topic area, Mile High Fi is really oriented around honestly, lifestyle after reaching financial independence. So it's more advanced. We usually don't hit the nuts and bolts and beginner topics typically that's been done really well on other podcasts. And I am not in that frame of mind anymore. And my co-host, Carl Jensen, he retired like five years ago. So we're very much in a post-financial independence mindset. And we're thinking about things related to happiness, health, fitness, again, lifestyle topics. We do interview people that are either on their way to financial independence, usually on the tail end, or that have already reached financial independence. So it's uh, kind of more advanced. And one thing we realized is we would listen to these shows, some of which I'm still a fan of and listen to occasionally. But once you cover all the nuts and bolts and beginner topics, then it just becomes repetitive if you keep going over that stuff over and over again. So I think Carl and I sort of fit 
the void of this lifestyle area where people are trying to figure out uh, now what? So we reached financial independence. We reached our goal. We quit our jobs or we've started a side business or something like that. And that fulfills our financial needs. And now what do we do? So anyway, if you're interested in that stuff, Mile High Fi, there should be a link in the description and show notes so you can check it out. But anyway, thanks a lot for checking out this episode. We will catch you on the next one. And don't forget, if you have any show ideas, feedback at Doug.show, that's the way to get a hold of me.